Hey folks, it's Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel from the Woodshed Agency, and you are listening to a new episode of Successfully Funded. Here we go. Let's turn it up. Turn it up. Yeah! Crowdfunders, how is everybody doing out there in the wonderful land of crowdfunding? I am your host, Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel, CEO of Woodshed Agency. And if this is your first time, welcome to the party. Yeah, this is a podcast specifically designated for people thinking about running crowdfunding campaigns, right? Startups, board game people, uh, entrepreneurs. If you're thinking about running a crowdfunding campaign, this is where this is where you need to be. Uh, we talk to project creators usually while they're in the middle of a campaign or their campaign is just finishing up um, or they had just a, like a successful story and we want to talk about how they how they got their project from A to B and more importantly, how they're getting that funding to come in. So with all that said, we have a phenomenal episode today. We are going to be jumping in and talking about the uh, board game Dungeon Drop, which is and, and their new game. It's called Drop Too Deep and Tavern Tales, which I found out is actually two games. I did not know that. Uh, and if you're a regular listener, you know that I don't know a lot about the board game world. Uh, I'm always a little bit of a fish out of water, but I'm getting better. I'm getting better at it. Um, so yeah, we're gonna be talking to uh, one of the one of the founders here of the game, uh, or, excuse me, of actually the the publisher uh, from Phase Shift Games, Jason McKelly. And we're going to be talking to him here in just a little bit, and we're going to get uh, way in 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 deep around how he's getting these campaigns to be like so funded, man. Like this campaign right now is, let's just check it out. We got three days to go, over thirty one hundred backers, over two hundred twenty four thousand dollars on a fourteen thousand dollar goal, fourteen thousand five hundred dollar goal. Excuse me. So major successful campaign. So with all that said, that like I said, that, that interview is coming up in a little bit. So what else is going around over here at One Wednesday Way? Well, speaking of the podcast world, I will be sending an email very shortly. Uh, and this has only happened one other time in the almost, God, almost four years maybe of doing this podcast. Maybe three, three and a half. I don't even know. Long time. So Friday, I did three interviews. You'll be hearing two of them. Yep, we had a tech glitch. I picked the wrong drive for the podcast to be recorded to. Something happened inside of the Zoom, and I didn't get the first episode recorded. So I have to give, I have to send the email out that to Adam Lieb uh, from the from the Indiegogo Cam Traveler uh, that we're gonna have to redo it because. Um, Clicked the wrong button. That's right. Clicked the wrong button. And I'm not going to lie. It was a great episode. And if you guys were there, you would have really enjoyed it. Didn't get that one. So, but you get to hear, you know, this episode and the one on Thursday. I got another one that's coming out on Thursday. So I got both of those. So again, two out of three, I guess that's not bad. But usually you like to record all of them. So it sucks, man. That is like the absolute worst moment, right? And and I didn't even really realize until today as I'm kind of going through my files and I'm like, hey, uh, missing something. And then you start researching and you're going back and forth and you realize, yeah, picked the wrong hard drive for it to go to and it didn't, it didn't get there. It didn't get there. So 
So got that going on. Man, so frustrating. Absolutely so frustrating. I mean, I love to hear for you guys. If you guys have something that like, you know, you've you've done that you've just you're just dreading because you just know you're like, I wasted my time, I wasted that person's time, you feel awful about it. You don't even know what what this there's really no other solution to like fix it besides, hey, we gotta do it again if you want to. But I think what I'll do is if, I'm going to email him here in a minute, Adam. I'm going to send him an email. Maybe he's listening to this. Maybe he's like, oh, let me let me hear what's going on. Maybe I, He won't learn about it this way, trust me. But I will send an email and let him know that, you know, hey, pick another time. But this time I might have you talk to Sean. So that's way, that way it's still a brand new interview. Oh, God, it makes me... I'm so frustrated. There's nothing worse than that, man. For me, like, there's just nothing worse. It's it's just like... It's a, it's a tech tech hiccup. What's more intriguing about this is like he he also had a tech hiccup, right? Where like Zoom wasn't working, we had a whole bunch of stuff. So like there was just it was just an odd start. So like it was clearly there's something like in the air that we shouldn't have we shouldn't have had our interview. And I don't know what that was. But um so that happened last Friday and then I learned about it today and I'm dealing with that. Um the other thing that happened today is I got to I got to fire a client. Nothing better than that. Um uh, you know so there's nothing you know, it's not awesome. It like, I don't think people realize like when you become a CEO or, you know, you go down this pipeline, you just, you just want to work on cool stuff. You want to, you know, you want to have some freedom about what you're working on, all that sort of stuff. Right. Then you get just absolute assholes that you have to deal with. So like, you know, I have that going on. So, you know, I wake up this morning and what do I find is I get some, you know, some, some, uh, private, private messages to me from a client who's accusing has decided I'm in, while we're in the middle of a Kickstarter campaign, I'm going to go ahead and accuse the agency of stealing my money and running ads for themselves, right? And I'm going to screenshot stuff. I'm going to really dive deep. I'm going to go in. And I just, I, I have no patience for that because it screams of a couple things. One, it screams of that there's no trust. Why would I be stealing $1,000? to run ads up for myself to maybe I am, I probably am running ads for myself, you know, considering that, that we're a marketing agency. So yeah. Third, like that's what you're working on. It's we're in the middle of your campaign where you're supposed to be out, you know, pounding the pavement, getting people excited, knocking on doors. Hey, everybody come back my campaign. And you're choosing to spend time accusing the agency you hired who we've been working together four months now, five months, a while, right? Got a good relationship. No other kind of major red flags. You choose to, to just really just piss on my leg and then tell me it's raining. So I, I went off on that. I said, that's not, uh-uh. I'm done. I got no time for this. If you don't trust me that you think that, I, that this is the type of agency I'm working on. And there's other little bit of red flags here and there kind of, kind of peppered in. But when that happens, like I've, I've just learned in 10 years of doing this, probably close to a thousand, thousands of startups that we've worked with over the course of 10 years. I mean, we've worked with a ton of campaigns and not even just campaigns, but companies and, and um, bands and all of this coaching and all of this like just around us. As soon as that trust is broke, it's done. There's not, you don't come back from it, right? It's no different than kind of cheating on your significant other. It's really challenging to come back on it because what that, what, what people don't know is like, why would I work harder on your campaign now when you're, you, you might accuse me of what, what's the next thing that you might accuse me of? What's the next thing that like, Oh, are you sure you're doing it this way? You know? So it just changes the entire atmosphere of the working relationship. And once again, once that's broken, I got, 
I got no love for you. I'm out. That's what you think I am. You're, 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 you're projecting of who you think I am, my team is, our standards, what we kind of do. And then when you go so deep into, I'm screenshotting and you're like, you're not even just like asking questions. You're like, I'm putting some work in here. I'm going and I'm finding this stuff. And yeah, so got to deal with that this morning, which is just, just fantastic. One of my favorite things to do. So I say all this, if this, again, if you are here, because you are a startup company, if you don't trust the company you hired, why did you hire them? Why did you, why did you hire them? And, and the other thing too, I'm going to give one more thing. I, I love this one. I love when people bring their past hurts to my world, right? So again, it goes back to, this is bare, this is like basic stuff. This is like relationship stuff, right? So I get a lot of people who are like, you know, we got burned really bad from another agency. They didn't do what they said they were going to do. They didn't do all this. That's the equivalent of like, you're dating a new woman and you're just like, oh, my last girlfriend was so, so mean to me. She did this to me. She did this. Can you believe she did this? Why am I here, man? Why am I here? Why are you dating me? Why, 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 are we, why are we at dinner? You just want to go through, you want to go through all your heartache? When you're, you got to get back up, man. It's the set, what, what's the fall eight, you know, fall seven times, get up eight, right? Whatever that, I don't know. I remember that from like the Stan magazine. Shout out to Dwayne. Um, but yeah, you know, you got to get back up, man. Yeah, there's bad marketing people out there. There's bad agencies. There's scam artists. There's kind of all that stuff. It, it's the world. But don't bring that shit to me, man. I'm here trying to get your dream fulfilled, right? Like that's what, and I always say this to people where I'm like, just, this is some inside baseball. So if, if I'm boring you, sorry, but like, you know, the way our contracts work is I get majority of my money on successful campaigns, right? So everything that I'm working on is how do I get you to be successful so that I can make more money, right? Like it's performance-based. So why would I do anything that's jeopardizing that? I'm not insane. I'm not clinically insane, right? Well, I don't think I am. Maybe my wife would say the other way. And maybe some of my business partner might say the other ways. I don't think I'm insane, right? I make money. So why would I do something that's hurting me? What, what would be the point of that? Oh, I gotcha. <laughs> oh, I just can't stand it. So sorry if I'm a little fired up from that. It's just, it's like, it's the, it's, don't bring that shoot to me. Don't, I don't want that on my front door. So. I had that this morning, which was just a lovely way to start my Monday. I'm going to give one other thing to us. If you're working with an agency, you yourself have to find ways to make sure that you're grounded in reality. And especially in crowdfunding, this is going to be like, this is like my second part to this is. And what I say with this is, you, you, you got to be in reality of like, th- these are realistic scenarios, right? Crowdfunding has this ability to, to put people in this mindset around, I could probably raise a million dollars. My pro- Everybody wants my project. We had 600 backers in two days. Everybody's going to want this thing. Everybody should want to buy my thing that only exists for, you know, if you're a very, very specific thing, but everybody should want it. So it creates that. And then what happens is, is that everybody's ego and, and their, uh, their, their bubbles get really big and they're just like, oh my gosh, we could do so much, right? It's really hard for any, any agency, anybody to work with you if you don't have your feet on the ground. So examples of this might be like, hey, 
we launched on Tuesday. I don't understand why, you know, can we, can we uh, like dive in? Do you think we can like double what we did on day one on day two? No, that's, that's not how it works. No. Are you sure? Cause maybe we could find a strategy that works. No, probably not. There's no magical strategy. By the way, again, go back to my contract statement. If there was a magical strategy that doubled our, our money, I would do the magical strategy because then I would make more money. So why would I not do the magical strategy? Those are tough things because I'm saying this on my end and I, I, I'm, I've been on the other end of this too where I'm the, the, the person hiring or the creator. And I said, you sound insane when you aren't, aren't in reality. So it's hard to like navigate, you know, uh, it's just hard to navigate communication when we know that you're in another land, when you're, hey, do you think that we could raise like probably $100,000 in just like a couple of days? No, no, that's not going to happen. Oh, are you sure about that? Because maybe we could, you know. How do I communicate with you down the road when you're when you're all over the place? Let's make a sale. So I say all this because again, if you're the creator and you're listening to this, ground yourself, listen to the people around you, listen to why they're saying certain things, do your own homework and research. Understand that majority of the time, you might have been at fault with those other past relationships, right? It might be your issue. So I say that, look in the mirror. Say, hmm, am I communicating correctly? Am I doing my work? Am I checking into my own Google Analytics before I spout off something? Am I you know, plugging into my tools and going, okay, I see why he might be doing this. Are you bringing something to the table or are you just blah, spouting something off? Makes it challenging. So again, be grounded in reality. Be grounded in what you're working on. Have understanding of it. It goes a long way. And again, all of these things, if you're working with myself or any other agency, it's a two-way street. It's a two-way relationship. And I know I'm not alone in this. This happens at all creative agencies. I've seen it on a bunch of different sides here. So I know that this is, I'm saying this stuff because again, if you're an audience, my audience, and you are a project creator who's thinking about doing this, these are things that you have to think about. No different than when you listen to us talk about Kickstarters, about best practices. We're saying this stuff because these are best practices, because we've learned probably doing it the wrong way. I know that's for myself quite a bit. Most of the time, the, I learn by doing it wrong, right? Like, oh, I did it wrong. Now we're going to do it this way. It's going to be better. And then it works, right? So have that sort of mental framework before you're either working with an agency, while you're working with an agency, or before you even jump into crowdfunding. So, whew, yeah, that was a rant. That was a good one. I think that was a really good rant by myself. I'm going to slap myself, give myself a little high five here on the back. What else? What else? What else? Man, had a little Michigan football Saturday night. I was up late Saturday night, then up real early Sunday morning. So that was a tough, tough transition. Today on Monday, I got to be honest, I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I had that Sunday night, like I said, Saturday, or sorry, Saturday night had the late Michigan game, which ended at like, I don't even know, 1130. Oh, God, so tired. That then moved into right up to Sunday morning, going to church, got to mix the music, make it sound good. Then go down. Then from there, I went to my parents. At my mom's house, I should say. Uh, watched some Lions game. Went to a pun- pumpkin place. Got pumpkins. Came back. Had dinner. Then had to stop by my grandma's house to fix a phone. I don't even know if that I couldn't couldn't fix it. I know you know the rhymes were crossed. You know, a Seinfeld reference. Um, you know. Then came home. Went to bed. Uh, woke up. Just powering through. Woke up. Told you what happened this morning, right? Getting accused of stealing a thousand dollars from my client to run some woodshed ads. <laughs> yeah. Um, whew. It hits me, man. It hits me. That lack of sleep, man. You got to sleep. By the way, here another one. 
another tidbit. If you're a creator running a crowdfunding camp, get sleep. Got to put that time in, get that sleep in. Um, but, you know, so it, it was interesting watching my first Michigan football game with my dad not being around. So I had that a little bit Saturday night as well, watching it by myself. Um, and those late games, man, they suck because my kid, my son has to go to bed. I mean, he's, he's nine. He went to bed at like 9.30, so he was tired. But yeah, watching that first game, I got no, nobody really to call about it. And it's kind of like, okay, Michigan football happened. It's a good game. Talk about Joe Milton. He looked good. He looked real good. But I did get to at least text with a buddy of mine who I think is completely delusional about Michigan football, but that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, that's an Easter egg I just dropped. For some of you, that might not have meant anything, but there's one person in particular that that comment right there is specifically for. So a little, little Easter egg in there. All right, all right. I, I, I think that's enough, guys. Um, all right, so again, if you're thinking about running crowdfunding, uh, a crowdfunding campaign on you know, either reward-based, which is Kickstarter, Indiegogo, or if you're thinking about running equity, I got a lot of campaigns over there I can talk about. Uh, so a couple things you can do. Number one, make sure you go to our website, woodshed.agency, click on our blog. We've got tons and tons of content there that you guys can uh, dive into and share. Uh, from there, why don't you go over to our podcast and hit, not just hit the subscribe button, I mean smash it. You can do the same thing over on YouTube. You can smash that button over there. Get up all in it, you know what I mean? Um, you can join our Discord community. You can join our private Facebook group. I mean, again, we're all over the place, man. We're putting out content as much as possible over here while still working on a lot of client stuff. So, um, so a lot of valuable information. And then last but not least, pick a time to talk to me. Go to woodshed.agency, kick that, uh, click the old consultation button in the top right corner. Go to my calendar, pick a time. That's literally my Google calendar. Pick a time that works. It's 20 minutes. It's free. It's no charge. No charge, man. Just talk. I won't even sell you anything. I got nothing to sell you. You know what? Um, but at least ask me questions, get your footing in before you hit that launch button, right? Understand what it's going to take to really get you successfully funded. Cause that's what the whole point of this, uh, of this podcast is. So with all that said, we're going to talk about face shift games, Jason McKelly. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Everybody knows I'm not very good at pronouncing last names. It's one of my weaknesses. I got, I got a bunch of them, but that's one of them. Um, but his game Dungeon Drop is just kicking absolute you-know-what over on Kickstarter right now. We've only got three days to go, so if you're listening to this right now, you want to be a backer, make sure you jump over there right now. And uh, I'm actually backing it as we speak. I'm going to become a gawker backer over here. And, um, yeah, let's go ahead and kick in my conversation with Jason about Dungeon Drop. Jason, the red light's on. Are you nervous? Oh, I'm never. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Well, you never know. I mean, it's a podcast interview and, you know, <laughs> maybe I'm scaring you. I don't know. But uh, why don't we do a quick sound check for our listeners? Uh, what'd you have for breakfast this morning? Oh, uh, what do we have? We had some eggs and a leftover cookie from last night. All right. All right. That's nice. That's good. Anything to drink? Uh, well, coffee. It's always okay. coffee. <laughs> hey, I'm not a coffee drinker. I don't know. Maybe you had something, some other oh, fancy stuff. Maybe what, some what milk. Drink? What do you drink for breakfast? Just some orange juice. A little bit of orange juice. I like that day. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, I think maybe instead of talking about your breakfast routine, why don't we uh, maybe move over to why we're actually chatting? Why don't you introduce yourself and uh, tell my listeners uh, what you're currently raising money for uh, over on Kickstarter? Sure. So, yeah, Jason Maselli. Uh, I am one of two who leads Phase Shift Games. 
we started the company a couple couple years ago. Maybe it's three at this point, early okay. 2018. Yeah, it's going on three, I think. Um, and uh, we are pushing Dungeon Drop. <laughs> so okay. this is the, the tabletop game. We had it on Kickstarter last year, right around the same time, uh, a little bit earlier last year. And it uh, it it knocked it out of the park uh, more than we ever actually expected. So it kind of set the stage for us for a really a a solid foundation for our company, and b this really extensible, flexible game framework that we could do more with. And That's cool. More is what we're doing right now. So <laughs> awesome. now we have expansion and some other stuff on the Kickstarter going on right now. That's cool. So well, let's we'll kind of. Yeah. Uh, Put both these together here. So for our listeners who have never seen it, don't know what it is, maybe walk us through what that gameplay is, maybe on the original one, and then what's making this one more special, right? What's the new stuff <laughs> so, going on? Perfect. So so Dungeon Drop is, I mean, the name says it all. The, the spirit of Dungeon Drop or the unique hook is that there is a pile of cubes. And these cubes represent all sorts of things in the dungeon. Monsters, gold, gems, treasure chests, dragons, you know, you name it, right? Anything you mm -hmm. could imagine in the dungeon. You pick up all these cubes in your hand, you shake them up, and you drop them on the table. And they okay. spread out. And if you imagine looking at it from top down on the table, they have just formed the map for a dungeon. A unique mm -hmm. dungeon that has never been generated before, right? Because it's completely infinite. Right. And there's one special type of cube, and that is the, the little gray cube are pillars. And basically, the pillars form walls. If you imagine the line between two pillars is a wall. These are like the okay. columns that, that right, hold right, up right. the dungeon, right? Yeah. And then so every three gray pillars forms a triangular space, and that's the room in the dungeon. And if your character is going to go into a room, you're going to encounter the monsters in there and be able to collect the treasure in there. That's the magic of Dungeon Drop is it's this cool. idea of this infinite engine, this dropping mechanic that's never been done before. And that's okay. what Drupal. That's cool. So, and is now what's what's now added to this? Like what is happening right now in the 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 too deep in Tavern Tales? What's what's happening now? Drop too deep. Yeah, so quite a few things. Uh, and I'll try to keep it all nice nicely organized to answer <laughs> your question. First, the original game had one big bad monster, and that was the dragon. Okay. Now we have 10 big bad Ooh. monsters, right? right so right. people were like, well, could there be another, you know, a, a different, you know, like a Hydra or, or some other big thing? We're like, well, why don't we dial that up a little bit more? <laughs> we'll have, so we basically introduced this whole new system where there are, there's a whole series of big bads, and you're randomly drawing one of them every round. There's three rounds in the game. So every round you're drawing a different one, and so it's so variable what three monsters are going to come out this game versus next game and when they're going to come out and they all have a unique effect so when you're drawing cool. this monster uh card it has an ability and it says like the the dragon hoards gold and sucks some gold cubes right up next to him and mm. every turn every round that happens more and more so his horde keeps growing so these these huge monsters now thrive in the dungeon there's behavior and dynamicness to them as opposed to That's just cool. In the, in the dungeon. So that's one of the big things. The other big thing that we included in this expansion is cooperative mode. The original mm -hmm. game was purely competitive, four-player okay. competitive versus, you know, one versus another. Could yep. play solo as well. We had a solo mode. But now we have fully cooperative mode. And that is just it's so it's so different, yet it uses all the same core mechanics, obviously. Uh, but it just has this rich cooperative feel to it. Like, you're literally 
talking to each other like, if I can get that cube moved over here, then you could actually go into that room and satisfy that cooperative goal. And then I can focus on this other one. It's, it's real collaboration. That's very uh, cool. So, so cool. That's very cool. And that's, that's the expansion for Dungeon Drop. And then you mentioned Tavern Tales. Yeah. That is a standalone game that's in the Dungeon Drop universe. So it has all the same characters and treasure and monsters, but it's a standalone game. You don't even have to have Dungeon Drop at all. Oh, wow. It completes the story, and so they pair together nicely. Your heroes have gone into the dungeon. They've fought the dragon. They've collected all this loot, and now they're tired, and they want to come back to town and relax and drink some ginger brew, <laughs> or orange juice in your case, and, uh, and boast about all the things they did in the dungeon. And that's what cool. Tavern Tales is about. It's about sitting around a table in a tavern with your friends, boasting and bragging about all the loot you, you got away with and all the monsters that you slayed. Very cool. Very, very cool. So where's the start of this idea for you? I mean, where does this... I, I am so... Just so you know, not a huge board game guy. Don't play a lot yeah. of them. I do a lot of these interviews. But like, where is the start of this idea that you go, all right, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a game like this? All right. So first of all, I'm not the designer. I'm the okay, publisher. Who does, yeah, you're but, the publisher, but, right? Let me explain what Scott, how he, the designer of the game, how he came up with this. So okay. in, in, our, in our space, in the tabletop industry, there are design contests. They happen all the time okay. by all different people. We've run our own design contests. And typically, design contests will constrain one or more rules. They'll basically say, we need you to make a game that only uses 18 cards. Or okay. a game hmm. that must have this theme, or a game that does this other very specific thing, right? Okay. That's Composite Design Contest. So one of the companies put out this contest, um, which was called Components Only. And hmm. basically it was, can you make a board game that does not have any printed parts? No cards, no boards, no tokens, nothing printed, just physical pieces. Like cool. cute and meatball, yeah, yeah. right? And so Scott entered this design contest. This is long before phase shift. We like, right. you know, we were part of this. And he entered this contest and he was just thinking in his head, he's like, that's a very strange contest. Only, only pieces. <laughs> what could you do with that? Right. It, you know, there, it would be themeless. It would be boring. Right. So like, but hundreds of people entered this contest <laughs> and Scott was one of them. And Scott, on the way to his gro uh, grocery store, he just had this thought of like, well, what could I do that's different? Maybe if we just drop them and yeah. see how they make a shape on the table, maybe there's something there. And so he submitted the idea. He won the contest. We reached out to him like two days later and a week later we had a contract. We said, this is special. That's cool. We want this to be our first game. And, and how, how do you, I mean, is that what you guys do typically then? Are you always trying to find people like Scott or design, uh, game designers? Uh, or are you guys ever making your own and releasing them under your own, uh, both. own brand, I guess? Both? Yeah, both. I'm a designer as well. Uh, I have mm -hmm. other games on the market. And next year, there's a game that, um, there may be two games actually, that I've designed or, or co-designed that we'll probably end up putting out there. Darren is also a designer. He's my partner. Okay. Uh, he has games of his own. So there's some of that, but then there's also us finding other designers, just like a book publisher. It's sure, really no sure. Yep. And we do have, so Tavern Tales, for example, is not us. That's a different designer. That's not mm. even Scott. That's, uh, his name is oh, Greg. Wow. We met him at uh, the UK Games Expo in August. And uh, yeah. we, you know, he pitched us his game. We said, holy cow, this thing plays so beautifully. It's perfect overlap with our audience. And we could put it in the Dungeon Drop universe. Yeah. Seamlessly. And it would, and it would do really well. And so that's how that, that one came. Yeah, that's interesting. So, and, and 
typically, I guess, are designers typically comfortable with that type of arrangement? Like, hey, I'm going to take this and uh, put it here because I think it's going to go really well. Is there a, a trust factor in that? Is that just, or is that par for the course? I, I, I don't really know, you know, in, in your world. <laughs> it, it is mostly par for the course, but okay. your, your, your question is, is keenly getting at an important point. Some designers, especially ones who maybe haven't done as much in the industry yet, don't realize that at first. Mm-hmm. And there are some, you, you can find, you can have designers who really kind of dig their heels and be like, but no, this is meant to be this kind of game. And by the way, that may be fine. That may be right. legitimate, but you may have a harder time finding a publisher who's willing to invest in that specific theme for that specific set of mechanics that you put together. Right. You know, the, the more restrictive you are as a designer, the fewer publisher options you're going to have. Sure. Just sure. is just what it is. Generally speaking, most publishers say, don't worry about the theme. Let us worry about the theme. You mm-hmm. just worry about making the best game mechanics that you can. That's super fun to play and compelling and unique. And then we'll worry about the theme. That's generally what most publishers will say. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, now, now for you and your partner, when did you guys flip into doing more publishing? Or, 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 or is that maybe, is that the most focus is, is on publishing than, than actual game design for you guys? Or... Or like for you particularly, or when did so, that start to kind of come together? Yeah, so what's interesting is um, we have another company or had another company. It's now part of Phase Shift, uh, but we had Geek Fever Games. And I okay. co-founded that with a different friend of mine, Matt, in 2012. So that okay. was a design firm. That was just a, you know, Matt, me, and then eventually Tim, and then eventually Darren. Darren was actually the last one to join that team. Okay. That was a team of four designers. That was all we were doing, designing okay. games pitching them to other publishers, not a publisher. Gotcha. Right, right. Then in 2017 or 18, whatever it was, Darren and I came together and said, we want to do more. We want to not just design. We want to maybe publish. And the other two guys had no interest in that side mm. of things because it's a very different, it's a very yeah. different ball game. Right. And so we formed Phase Shift. And at this point, Geek Fever is just part of Phase Shift. So, okay. So we have our design labs, Geek yeah. Fever, and I'll still design stuff for the Geek Fever kind of label. But it's it's all owned by Fish. So are you, and are you looking for like like is there a, an aesthetic to every game that you want to have under this umbrella, or is it, it it's a good game? Like that's you know I, I had fun playing it. Like what are the what are you looking for to say like this would be a great game under uh, under what we do? Yeah, that's not an easy question to answer, and it, and <laughs> okay. it changes. It changes all yeah. the time. Maybe when we started, we had one notion, and then we found Dungeon Drop, and we're like, "Well, that's different than what we expected." But holy cow, we got to go right. for it! Right. <laughs> um, so right now, Dungeon Drop fits in this. Um, well, this is not doesn't have the artwork, but it's the same yeah. size. So it, it fits in this cubicle box. Okay. And it's just this really cute size and shape. Um, and then we now have three products that are in that cubicle size. Hmm. And next year we have another game called Drop Drive, which we want to put into the same. So right now hmm. it's just, it's it's not that we're looking for something that can fit in this cube, but it does resonate with our audience. It's unique in the market. It's unique on retailer shelves because very few games have a cubicle box. Yeah. It's just not common. Yep. And so here's what I would say. Phase shift, even the name, came about because what we wanted to find were games that pushed some dimensional envelope. And that's a mm. fancy phrase, but basically what it means is like, it started out by by focusing on 3D. So you have a, a, a board game. I mean, you're not a board gamer necessarily, but you know board games, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 of course, yeah. And yep. there's cards and there's yep. maybe some tokens, but it's tokens, all very yeah. flat, flat yeah. right? 
it's a two-dimensional plane on the table, but there's all this space above the table. So like, how can we have a game that makes better use of this three-dimensional space? And Dungeon Drop does, right? With the drop mechanic. And then every turn, you're dropping more cubes. So it's just a small way that we see that we're we're able to like push a dimensional envelope. And that's the envelope of space. Then Mm. there's the envelope of time. Is there a way that you could play a game over many months, not just Mm. one night? Is there um, a game that you could play in two different rooms simultaneously? You know, like one group of players is in one room and another group of players in another room and they're taking turns and then they come together. And I don't know, you're like, I'm making it up on the fly, but those are the kinds of things that we always want to try to find were these games that really did different things with time and space. That's cool. Very, very cool. You know, what's interesting is I've, I've talked to almost everybody I'm talking to now in the games are publishers. And we talk a lot about the box, right? I know how important the box is in this world. Now, did you guys have any concern that, you know, what you just showed me that cube wasn't the, the big, huge box thing that like a lot of these games are in, or were you like, no, 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 this is its own little unique thing. Cause I know this is a part of a lot of these conversations and the artwork on the box and what, you know, how oh, you yeah. display it and all that whole world. Right. Like, which I'm, I'm always fascinated about too, of like, how important the box is. You know? Oh, it's, it's highly important, especially if the real goal is to get that game on the shelves of Target or Barnes right. & Noble or right. whatever. You've got to nail the box. Now, we lucked out. Because of how well Dungeon Drop did, we landed a, a big distributor. They're called mm. GameRight, and they put out other very well-known games like Sushi Go and Forbidden Island and some of those. Mm. Um, and so they are, they're retail experts, right? They have lots of games in Target. So they worked with us in the early days to make sure that this cube, every fit on the cube, every side has to be a sales opportunity, a marketing opportunity. How, you know, how can this exactly what size, what dimensions should we go larger? Should we go smaller? Like those Mm. nuances are super, super important for retail. Yeah. Now, if we were just selling into the what's called the hobby gaming market, it, it's a different ball game. Uh, and bigger boxes, you know, a lot of hobbyist gamers like those big boxes. Even yeah. even the targets, you know, they want boxes that have a general shape and size, even if a lot of it is dead air inside, because wow. the mass consumers just expect that. They expect yeah. larger. It feels like more of a game if it's a larger box. Right, and right. we struggle with that because it's like, well, our game doesn't need that. And I don't like just selling air, right? Yeah, right, right. So it's yeah. a struggle. And um, there's different answers for retail. There's different answers for the hobby market. What I will say is not all of our games are going to be small cube games. Right. I The other game that I designed is called Queen's Quest. And that's a big box game. That's right. a big dungeon crawler, you know, cooperative experience. So uh, it'll be yeah. a big one. That's cool. So, you know, what was kind of your background? How did you get into gaming? Where does your, where does this kind of, where, where, where's the start of your journey in this whole world? I, I think I have a typical story like so many others in this <laughs> space. I, you know, I was a gamer as a kid. Yeah. I I think I garbage picked a, a copy of Risk from somebody. I saw it on <laughs> someone's, you know, trash. And as I was walking around as a kid, I was like, oh, this looks like a cool game. You know, went yeah. home, played. I was like, oh, this is awesome. Yeah, but I just watched the uh, Seinfeld episode uh, the other night just on random, you know, just watch and about with Risk where they're playing yeah. uh, with, with Kramer and uh, Newman are <laughs> playing Risk. Yeah, and nowadays you try to play that. It's like mind-numbingly long, (laughs) tedious, and some boring, right? But 
but it still entered me into the world. I was a Magic the Gathering player for many years in college. I was a Warhammer 40K player. I spent thousands of dollars on this, on these pewter miniatures and painted them, you know. So I got into all the different hobby aspects. Um, I, de- I was a video gamer, avid mm-hmm. video gamer, all, you know, for most of my entire life. Um, but, you know, just over time, as things evolved, I definitely landed squarely in, I prefer the tabletop game experience. Mm-hmm sitting down and playing a video game. That's just kind of where I'm at. Um, if I have time, I'm, I'm prototyping a new game design or I'm working on one of phase shifts, you know, products that we want yeah. uh, to put out there. Yeah. Just always now, been there. Now. So I, I, I come from the music world, right? So I, I'm the, a music connoisseur and I've been, I was in bands and own recording studios and found that I like kind of don't really like music anymore because I, I you know like I could critique it so much right so like I, I do live sound and I'm like that's not the way a kick drum is supposed to sound <laughs> has that happened to you at all in this where you're like you know what I, I know too much of the secret sauces behind the scenes you know to where no. you're not enjoying a game anymore yeah. no not even a little and that is interesting yeah. and I do think about that all the time like am I gonna get to the point where it's like I don't want to play another game yeah I don't want to look at another game man whether no it's my own or somebody. right right just yeah no, first of all, we won't put out a game that we don't love playing ourselves, right? Yeah. That that has to be your your right. and the low bar in my opinion. Like you yep. know, you gotta strive for excellence. And we won't put out a game that we don't love playing. So and yeah, so there's that. Then no, I still I mean I'm a back I'm on Kickstarter, I'm trying to attract people, but I'm also a backer of dozens <laughs> of other games that I'm right. like, I want that, I wanna play that. Yeah. When yeah. am I gonna have the time to play this other thing? <laughs> Holy cow, right. I don't have the time, that's for sure. Yeah. But I do have the passion for for all of them, absolutely. And, and how does um, just Kickstarter in general fit into your business model? Is it something that you want to always use because of the board game world? Is it something that you're selective? Is there some that you're like, this is going to go right to Target or right to Amazon or whatever, whatever it might be? Yeah. How, how are you kind of thinking about, you know, I think this game will do well uh, on the platform? Yeah, so I mean, direct to, to Target, that would be like anyone who could do that, that's... That's Nirvana, but that yeah. doesn't happen, I don't think. Right. Um, for, so good question again. Kickstarter is a super, super strong business model for most publishers. Yeah. Um, when you reach a certain scale, you could back off of Kickstarter and you can put things directly out to the market. You know, selling online, selling through Amazon, selling through niche boutique stores or hobby right. stores. Um, so we're, we're not there yet. I mean, we're, we're still a small publisher. And, um, so for us, Kickstarters, it's crucial. It's yeah. absolutely crucial. Now we've, a, you know, we've amassed a sizable audience over the last two years. So that's good. Like if we had to put out our next game and not use Kickstarter, it would be tough, but we might actually have the numbers to make it successful mildly. Right. But Kickstarter just it does have a draw and we embrace the real purpose of Kickstarter, which is not that a lot of people see Kickstarter as just, it's a pre-order system. You've already made the product. You're just basically getting pre-ordered. Well, it started as work with us, design a product that you want with us. And we embrace that to the max. So like we're, we're in the middle of our campaign right now. We have our fourth or fifth we have community submissions. We have design contests by the community. So, like, they're submitting cool. all these crazy ideas for the next race or class or monster. Mm-hmm. And we then we go through and we curate, like, the best 20. And then we have a poll. And then they vote on the, you know, which are their favorites. And those make it into the game. Yep. We let our community name our stuff. We yep. let our community weigh in on the, the design of the box. You asked about the box. If it's not going onto a shelf in Target 
such as this other box that we just designed, this, this big box storage solution, mm -hmm. that's not meant for Target. It'll never be right. on the shelves. It's just meant to be something fun that sits on your shelf. Well, if right. it's going to sit on your shelf, what do you want it to look like? Right, right. You're like, well, our favorite character is Boblin. Great. We'll put Boblin smack <laughs> on, the, on the center of this right, thing. Right, right. right. So it is a, it's a, it's a model, Kickstarter, that most publishers do use. And right now, it's kind of the only game in town. Yes, there's Indiegogo. Yes, Awakened Realms just announced that they're going to put out their own version of Kickstarter. Yeah. Time will tell if they're really going to be successful. Kickstarter yeah. is just massive. Yeah. And, and you mentioned a bunch of stuff because, again, I coach a ton of startup companies and I actually tell everybody, please go just back board games, whether you play them or not, and watch the community building, yeah. the conversations, the, you know, the outreach, the openness of like getting your design critiqued publicly, right? Like that is that vulnerability for like, you know, somebody making a tech widget thing is very uncomfortable for a lot of people. Right. Oh, yeah. But in the board game world and, you know, no, let's have it. Like, tell me I did it wrong or, you know, I'll make it red. I'll make it blue, whatever, you know, like, yeah. but that's why I'm always like, really look at why this community and why this is such a huge, you know, I mean, it's just, it's the number one, I think it's the number one category now. I, I think pretty, pretty handily, uh, isn't it? I, I forget if it's video games specifically, but tabletop games is right up there. They're so right. Yeah. They're right there. I mean, but, but it, again, it's what you just talked about is what I want everybody to like truly hear is like, it's just that openness to really let the community actually into your product. You're not the smartest guy in the room. <laughs> let, you know, let everybody kind of get in on it. So, you know, did you find that at all challenging? Cause again, a lot of people, a lot of creators, a lot of publishers I've talked to, you know, it's a little bit uncomfortable, but was it something that you guys have just been like, no, we embrace this completely from the yeah. start, you know? Yeah, I don't know if we're different or abnormal, but for us, it was just the given right from the start. Yeah. This is how we were going to operate. We're transparent. We're honest. Uh, you know, we we certainly have some really good uh, friends in the industry and some mentors. And, you know, for our first Kickstarter, we had a kind of a silent uh, partner consultant that helped mm -hmm. guide us in, in that yeah. first Kickstarter. He had launched a, a dozen very successful Kickstarters himself. Right. And, you know, that's how he is with his audience is extremely honest, transparent, you know, just he'll just set up his iPhone and record a video just like this right here. Just him talking to the audience saying, so guys, here's the struggle I ran into. Here's what I did. You know, tell me what you guys think. Cause like right, this right. is for you ultimately. And, and I just, you know, I've always been that same way. Darren is that same way. So I think it was just a given. This is how we were going to operate as, as a company. And, and how do you navigate maybe that fine line between, oh, okay, you know, we know we have a good thing. I actually don't maybe need any more advice or like, you know, or they're okay. The crowd has taken this thing way off, off scope. I trust what we originally had or whatever it might be. You know, is there ever, ever a scenario where you're just like, sure. eh, I got to trust my instincts on this one, you know? Sure. And I'm, I could probably, if I thought long enough, I could probably think of three examples from this actual campaign that we're in right now where yeah. people have thrown out this idea. And, you know, again, we're, we're very open and honest. So we're like, that actually won't really fit our theme that we're going for. Or that <laughs> right. won't, that won't right. meet the spirit of what we're trying to, you know, get for this particular aspect or something. So yes, it does happen. And, and we're still very honest about that. But, yeah. but then at the same time, we're saying that you've got 90 other fans that have already said it for us. Like, right, right. Yeah. Are just obvious. Like, yeah, that's not going to work. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not to dismiss idea because even, even ideas that absolutely won't work, 
they can always spark something in there. And they're like, well, what's interesting is if you think of it this other way, sure. that could open up this whole other thing that we've never even thought about. So yeah. that happens all the time too. It's it's just a evolution, collaborative process. Yeah, that's great. That's great. How, how does artwork sort of fit into your equations with um, the designer? Where do you guys hand, do you guys handle that? Is that where does that just start to fit into the equations? Because I know it's, again, so important for these games. So one common mantra is um, art sells games. And then the the game quality keeps it going, right? right. It, you have to have a good game under the hood. But art sells. Yeah. It just does. So like, how are you going to track? We have to put ads out, right? We have paid ads on Facebook, paid ads on Instagram, et cetera, et cetera. We have to put ads out. And those ads yeah. have to be eye-catching. Art right. is how you do that. Yeah. So art is super important. And in our case, for Dungeon Drop and Tavern Tales, uh, our art is this really cute um, chibi style artwork. Yeah, so yep, it is yeah. just, it's adorable. And we found this uh, this great artist in Brazil uh, for the first game. Uh, she wasn't available for this expansion. We found a studio that matches her style perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, so we developed the style that we wanted to go for. And it's interesting, I'll tell you this too. My other game that I mentioned, Queen's Quest, the big box one. Yeah. That's actually a pixel art, uh, like an 8-bit theme, like mm, an old, right, yeah, old yeah. Nintendo game. Yep. And I had already had that for years. And and we thought that might be our first game that we were going to launch. Then we found Dungeon Drop. We said, oh, this would be awesome. Let's do this first. Smaller, easier, and mm-hmm. you know, we'll do that first. And we said, oh, let's use the same pixel art for Dungeon Drop. And so we started out trying this pixel art style. Hmm. Um, and... It just, while it works great for Queen's Quest, it was not working for, it didn't feel right. Because Dungeon Drop is meant to be um, like a mass market, family friendly, all ages, very approachable, very accessible, and pixel art's more niche. So it just didn't feel right. So we we found this other artist, we came up with this new style, and it's beautiful. And it is super important that we maintain that style uh, as we have, and... um, and, and and yeah, it, it's it's the first visual that's going to capture people. So it's right. crucial. Now you asked too about the designer. Um, what we do as a publisher and many publishers do is we're also very collaborative with our designers. So mm. Scott, the designer of Dungeon Drop and Greg of Tavern Tales, both of them are in most of our decision points. Now, mm. ultimately, Darren and I make the final call. It's our right. business, our money on the line. But we invite them into almost every decision. We show them the pro, you know the the drafts, the sketches from our art studios, and they weigh and they're like, oh, that that nails it. Or, eh, you know, I'd really like it if he was holding the sword this way. And then we go back yeah. to our artist. We're fine with that um, because it is still it's it's all of our vision. It's not right. just Darren and mine or just Scott or Greg's. Now, and and when you're sitting on a game like Dungeon Drop, that's clearly people are reg- you know uh, enjoying it, loving it backing it are are you already thinking about you know not only what's happening now but the 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 next phase the next phase like how how do you know how much you can actually expand on these games before it either one gets too much or the or the original game maybe starts to suffer or or is that what you're thinking about uh, as a as a publisher like so yeah, yes. First of all, I just got to say, um, I, I I do a lot of these interviews, and you're asking 
some very interesting, unique questions that I don't <laughs> typically get asked. I think because maybe you're not like squarely I, in that tabletop space. That's why I do this. <laughs> when I listen, because I listen to other ones and I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never <laughs> played that game. I want to know the, how you put it together, the whole source of it. Like, you know, if, and again, my crowd is people think about doing crowdfunding, right? Like, you know, and, and how to start a business or startups and, you know, that's the majority of my audience. So yeah. I love it. So yes, we absolutely are thinking about this stuff as a publisher. We have to think about this stuff as a publisher. You asked about like, you know, how many steps ahead are we thinking? Holy cow, we've we've got thoughts of guilds and uh, spending your gold in the dungeon at a treasure shop Mm -hmm. and pets, having a pet system built. There's so many other expansion opportunities for Dungeon Drop. But the flip side of that is, and you kind of, you know, indicated this, We have to be careful about not oversaturating, too. Um, This campaign was tremendous. Our fans absolutely wanted more for Dungeon Drop. We've given them more. More races, more classes, more quests, new game modes. We expanded it to five-player. We added more huge monsters. We added cooperative goals and modes. Mm -hmm. So we've expanded it tremendously. Could we do this again next year and add another expansion? We could. I think it... I think at that point, that's a little too soon. I think what yeah. we need now is pause here. Let this simmer and let everyone really enjoy everything we put out. We've got other games to do. So right. we're going to put out right. Drop Drive, which is has a drop mechanic, but it's a whole different game and it's mm. in a science fiction universe. Let's do a totally different game. Let's get Queen's Quest out there and maybe even one or two others. And then maybe after another year or so, maybe then we come back and say, okay, now what is the next best thing to do for Dungeon Drop? Right. Is it just more? People want that much more. And, <laughs> right, and right. Listen, there's tons of games out there and every year they're just more and more yeah. expansions. That's great. But we do absolutely have to ride that balance. We don't want to oversaturate uh, and, and we, want to, we want the base to grow. So, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. And when, when do you feel like as the publisher that you know that you're ready to launch the Kickstarter. Are you looking for some metrics behind the scenes? Have you teased the audience? I don't know. You've got, we hit 10,000 emails. I don't Is there a metric you're looking for to say, okay, we're ready to hit that launch button? You know, there, there probably should be an answer of yes, but not for us, at least not yet. Maybe in the okay. future, we'd have to be a little more calculated. For now, no, it was, it was gut. It was gut. It was, you know, we're in this crazy world of COVID-19. Yeah. Um, we can't go to big gaming conventions and yeah. sell our products face to face and demo and play games yep. with people, which we love to do. So like, what do we do in this year of COVID-19? How do we stay relevant? How do we stay present, you know, with our backers and our, and our, and our fans and our customers. And so running this Kickstarter may not have even been our plan at the beginning of the year, mm-hmm. but it became our plan as we pivoted, as we thought about how do we, stay relevant in this new world that we're in. Right. And next year, the world's going to change again. And yeah. you know, hopefully conventions come back and then we kind of pivot a little bit, you know, in a different way. Uh, I would say that we're pretty agile. We're pretty opportunistic. If we, if we see some opportunity that is attainable and it's not going to distract us too much, we're going to chase that. We're, yeah. we're, we're young enough and agile enough to do that and nimble enough. Um, and then down the road, you know, certainly some of the bigger publishers, I'm sure... They're not, you know, like Fantasy Flight Games and, you know, Hasbro, they're not going to put money into something if they don't have quantifiable right. evidence that <laughs> right. this is going to be, this is going to make us X amount and anything under is is a failure and then yeah. here's okay, but what we really need is here or above. I, I'm sure they have all those rich um, data analytics to go yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you think 
the the board game category for Kickstarter is flipping to you kind of have to be with a publisher to have the success like you're having right now, as opposed to like, hey, I, I, I made a game, I'll put it up myself and just see what happens. Do you think that it's it's swinging a little bit more that you've got to maybe have your stuff together a little bit more? I think you- having a publisher is, is a boon um, and gives your game a better chance. But yeah. no, indie games make it all the time. And that's yeah. because of Kickstarter. But here's the thing. What you do need is money. Yeah. And unfortunately, this is this is the struggle for a lot of indie designers. You know, they got a they got a job on the side, they got families. Like this is not their full-time gig. They don't have right. capital to just, you know, pour into a marketing campaign or pour into good artwork that's gonna sell when people see it on a Kickstarter page or an advertisement. Right. You do and it's sad to say because there's so many indie designers out there with a great idea yeah. and they want to make it on their own, but they just don't have the capital to do so. Right. You do need money to make money. Yeah. That's the sad truth. Yeah. But um, for those who just don't, then you know, then spend your time trying to find a publisher who does have the money to put behind your your game. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's something that we've watched over the last ten years of Kickstarters of just you know, it used to be you could kind of put something up, tweet about it two or three times. Yeah. Hey, I raised ten <laughs> Boom, grand. Audience, what the heck? this is amazing. And then as we've just watched social media constantly change and pivot and no organic traffic for a lot of, for almost everybody, yeah. uh, you know, you had to really start to kind of be a little bit further down the, uh, down the whole line of your, uh, of your idea before you go to Kickstarter. Um, and I think that's actually a good thing at the end of the day, the amount of stuff that goes up there and you're like, cool, they're trying to raise 600 bucks for, yeah. I don't even know, you know, uh, whatever it is. But well, if you remember, yeah. I mean, the early days of Kickstarter, like people would put hand drawn sketches and, oh, and I know. Yeah. just yeah. a video like this of me saying, I yeah. have this dream, help us, right? Yeah. And people would help you. And yeah. that's not Kickstarter anymore. It's people expect full marketing oh, yeah. and animations full, yeah. and 3D renders and, you know, it needs yeah. to look like a finished product. And that's why a lot of people see it as just a pre order system. It's yeah. like all the work is done. Yeah. For us, we're, you know, we're in the middle where like, no, we still want to do a lot of work with you. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and really, I think Kickstarter wants your way, right? They, that's what they truly want. They don't yes, they want do. it to be a pre-order. They want, yes. no, reach out to the community, get your idea better. So, and again, we kind of talked about it earlier. It's, it's, you really got to have to own that, that idea in your business, in your company to truly yeah. be successful on this. So what does, you know, you got six days to go in this campaign. Um, we haven't, we haven't actually really talked about numbers, but you know, you're up over $210,000, almost yep. 3000 <laughs> backers. So a lot of, a lot of energy uh, is in, in this campaign, you know, after the campaign ends, money drops, what starts to happen? Like when, what do you start to do? Printing, ordering, yeah, so what are you we, doing? We kick into, so we've, we've kept up with the artwork for the most part, any of the community design stuff where we have our artists working in tandem. Yeah. So when we hit the end of this campaign, we'll pretty much have all the artwork already done. And that's, that's usually a big, big nut. That's yeah. part of it. We have some rules like any new, um, like if there was a new class, you know, that came out of the, the, the community, we have to play test that and make sure right. that it, you know, refined and so on. So we spend the next month basically refining rules, play testing, taking the new artwork, putting them on the cards and doing graphic design, which is different than art. Art yep. is the yep. kind of the, the pictures, but then graphic design is all the icons and the interface and font choices and all that right. kinds of stuff. Um, so we really refine this, these products so that we can then hand them off to our manufacturer and, uh, give them all the digital files. And then they, they work for many months and, uh, go through that that whole cycle. Now, in our case, 
We already have an established relationship with our manufacturer. We understand how the fulfillment works and the shipping lanes and the freight and everything. So that's all very tricky stuff. Only yeah. been through it once. Have a very good handle on it and very confident that that stuff's going to go just fine. Well, let's talk about this because uh, personally, I think I've killed three companies in 10 years of doing these for shipping, just, you know, shipping and handling. We didn't calculate stuff correctly, right? So it's like, oh no, oh no. You know, in that first campaign, it sounds like you might've had to go through some, some you know, that rabbit hole, right? How, how do you guys approach shipping worldwide, the size of the game, what it fits in, who you're using, tariffs, the whole world, right? That, how are you guys navigating that? So again, for the first campaign, we had a silent partner who had done that 12 times. <laughs> okay, so. All I can yeah. say is that relationship, who, you know, he's still a dear friend of ours and we follow yeah. everything he does. Um, but that having that official relationship and contract with him for that first campaign was super crucial. And yeah. and he's now a thankful recipient of some of that, you know, but he's a beneficiary <laughs> of our of our success. Yeah. Um, so it was a, a win-win for everyone. I definitely recommend, get, you know, having a mentor, someone who's really done this stuff before, because we did not know how do we get into international retail? How do right. we deal with getting products on some gigantic boat in the Pacific Ocean? <laughs> right, like, right. How do I even start? Right. So he yeah. he you know introduced us to the right people, introduced us to the concepts of freight forwarders and mm-hmm. talking about uh, you know less than container load and greater than container load <laughs> and all those kinds of concepts and uh, FOB versus um, EXW and all these different shipping yeah. terms. Right. So it's, yeah. you just learn it as you go. Yeah. But the bottom line is we knew we wanted to fulfill worldwide. There was, you know, we did not want to say no. There's some countries that you just, you have to say no to. Right, right, right. You just don't sell to North Korea and, and <laughs> some right. South American countries are very, very difficult to ship to. Yeah. We don't say no to them, but we do have to jack up those shipping prices to right. account for it a yep. lot. Yep. Uh, and so on. So you learn those ropes. Um, for the first campaign, we had only the cubicle box. And our fans during that campaign a year ago, they asked us, they begged us, could you give us mats, uh, neoprene mats? They're very common Mm -hmm. for board games that people love to have these roll up neoprene mats. You roll them out and they give you whatever it is, a pretty surface, a place for all the cards or tokens or whatever it is. In our game, they wanted it to be able to bounce the cubes and have it kind of mute the bounce a little bit. So if you have like a glass table, they're not going everywhere. (laughs) Right. we said no during the campaign because we knew mats are heavy, they're big, and those are the two primary criteria that screw up shipping. And yep. we said we know how to ship a four-inch cube. Right. Um, we don't know how to ship a 14-inch, yeah. you know, one-and-a-half thing. Mat. Yeah, right. It, it, it's going to just blow everything out of the water. Yeah. Now, that's what we said at the time. And now this campaign, we got mats. We got walls right. that are 14 inches long. We have a big box storage solution. We, you know, we know what we're doing. We know how to work with the right fulfillment houses. We know how to work with the freight companies and what these things cost. Well, I think it, you know that's an interesting point in there for other people to the ability to say no to yeah. again. You can get so caught into like we yes. want to make what you want. We want you to buy it. And now all of a sudden, and that's how we've we've had our issues ten you know over the last ten years of just like saying yes, you know, just yeah. being a people pleaser. Now all of a sudden, you are shipping something that you're like. I didn't know it was going to cost $28 yeah, to ship yeah, yeah. a $10 <laughs> thing, you know, or whatever. It's just because it's too wide or it didn't fit perfectly and you didn't do the research and you didn't know all that stuff. So uh, I think that's, again, so crucial that people take the time to really kind of dive into that 
So, uh, so what happens? I mean, like, what does this next year look like? I know it's tough with COVID, but like, you know, do you have a, uh, you know, w- what does a game like this do? Is it just you get it, people get it, they start playing it, they start talking about it. W- what else happens? What now? happens I mean, there? To, yeah, what happens now after that? You know, our real goal is to get games into distribution, and distribution right. can still mean a bunch of different things. Distribution doesn't have to mean Target, although that's yeah. amazing if we can get right. that. Um, but distribution just simply means, you know, there's some, there are four like main big distributors in the tabletop space. So getting our expansion in with one of those, getting Tavern Tales in with one of those, and maybe even some of these uh, add-ons. We have mm-hmm. a dozen different add-ons, the walls right. and the just two of them. Yeah. Um, getting them into distributors, that's where there's just, there's a, a, a larger scale. They're going to order more and hopefully you get the recurring orders. That's where the real coup is. Yeah. Um, so that's our goal, but obviously in order to do all that, the game just has to be out there and people loving it and playing it and talking positively about it. So yeah. that's step the first. Right. And from there you, you attract the different distributors. The first campaign, we attracted game, right? They picked up dungeon drop and they distribute it now in all English territories. And then we also have other distributors in like Australia and Canada and, um, Asia and Europe <laughs> to fulfill those markets. Yeah. So and Dungeon Drop is now being translated into five different languages as well. That's cool. So, you know, we're yeah. going through that. So what is it? It's just, you know, it's just more. It's yeah. push it, you know, not artificially push it, just, you know, help it organically grow, keep the reviews coming in, keep listening to the market for what they want, uh, answering their prayers and giving them a tremendous experience and then yeah. getting this, you know, getting this stuff into distribution. That's the goal. And, and do you see, because I think this is what's, this is my gut telling me, I think this is going to get bigger and bigger because of COVID, right? That especially this winter coming in, I'm stuck inside with my family or my one other family that my other family friend that, you know, we're all cool. We'll get together on Friday night. And what are we doing now? You know, no, I I think it's going to get bigger. It's so interesting too, because um, so two things happened when, when COVID hit us, February, March, Mm-hmm. Um, two things happen. One, there's there's a lot of digital tabletop gaming platforms out there. Uh, yep. There's one called Tabletop Simulator. Yeah. Yep. Uh, there's a couple Tabletopia. They spiked as yep. soon as yep. people were in quarantine. All of a sudden, video gaming just soared, and video yep. board gaming soared. Yep. And we actually got Dungeon Drop on Tabletop Simulator specifically mm-hmm. to help kind of like capture yeah. that moment. Um, and then the other interesting thing was all of us publishers. So many of us said, well, we're not going to run a Kickstarter now. People are losing their yep. jobs. I they know. don't know what's going on. The world yep. is upside down. We're not going to run a Kickstarter in the um, in the spring. Yep. And what happened? The ones who did, they were booming. Like yep. Kickstarter, all, it was the opposite. People yep. were, because they were home, they wanted something new to play with. And yep. and and enough people still had jobs that the, the people who actually did run a Kickstarter in the, in the spring they were yeah, tremendous yeah, successes. Yeah. And now we're all here in the fall, six months later. And and now we're in, I mean, thankfully, we're still doing extremely well, but we're in this saturated Kickstarter now because all the publishers who didn't do it in the spring, now they're all piling up <laughs> right. on the fall. Yeah. Uh, it's just really interesting dynamics. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I hear you. That, that's everything you said. That's what we thought too. We were like, nobody's going to crowdfund. We're not going to yeah. crowdfund anything. And then everything we've launched is like, that. they bought that one? Wow. <laughs> I didn't expect, you know, it's just been... It's yeah. been weird. And I keep waiting for the other shoe to drop. And I'm like, I don't think it's going to. So, yeah. And we also work a lot in equity crowdfunding where I was like, nobody's going to be investing in, you know, 
a drone or whatever, pick the thing, right? And it's like, no, every campaign's maxing out. And I'm like, okay, I guess I don't know what's going on. It's great. It's crazy. It's crazy. Well, let's flip over to a quick lightning round and then uh, and then we'll wrap this up. So what have you been watching in the old Netflix or Hulu streaming? What have you been watching right now? Uh, so we finally got around to watching the new Star Trek um, animated series, Lower Decks. Okay. Uh, it, it's fun. It's, it's fun and neat. Uh, we finished up uh, Cobra Kai. That was Oh, amazing. that's a great one. Yeah. Uh, that, was, that was outstanding. We finished yep. up uh what's the murder one how to get away with murder um uh i I don't the name is something like that but yeah she's a she's a teacher and uh and uh teaching law to students but meanwhile she's helping this group of students basically get away with murder oh okay so that was an interesting series we finally finished that one how how about a movie is there a movie at all that you've watched an actual movie movie from you know we've been on an 80s kick I mean, we just yeah. watched Spies Like Us and Dragnet and some of these old 80s. Like, we're just, I don't know, we're on a binge um, of, of 80s. Oh. I think we saw something that someone put out on YouTube that was like a montage of 50 different 80s movies. We're like, we gotta watch all these. <laughs> yeah, that's great, that's great, that's great. About, uh, how about a podcast outside of mine? I mean, I know you listen to mine, but any other podcasts that you uh, that you listen to? Yeah, I love Board Game Design Lab with Gabe Barrett. I love The Game Crafter with J.T. Smith and, uh, and Jeff King. Um... Uh, Epic Gaming Night, um, although that changed a little bit when uh, uh, when Roy Kennedy moved over to the Dice Tower, and we listened to the <laughs> Dice Tower. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. How about a book? Read anything right now? No. Okay. <laughs> All right. Hey. <laughs> read books. Yeah, day. I have a tough time too with it too, man. I'm I'm short little things, short a lot of articles, but yeah, I, I have a tough time with the books too. Well, Jason, uh, where can people go to kind of dive into your world, check out your games? You know, obviously they can check out the Kickstarter, and I'll have the links to that. But where should people go to just kind of dive into your world? Yeah, everything is is the same term. It's Phase Shift Games, all one word. So it's PhaseShiftGames.com, Facebook slash Phase Shift Games, Twitter slash. You know, we just kept that consistent. Uh, we're up on Kickstarter right now with Dungeon Drop. So if you search for Dungeon Drop Kickstarter, you'll find it. Or if you just cool. go to faceshipgames.com, anything you click on our homepage probably takes you there. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, Jason, I appreciate you taking time out of your day. I know it's busy. Campaign's yeah. getting ready to, to close up here. And uh, this is a great conversation. And I, yeah, I'm always fascinated by the board game world and what you guys are doing over there because you guys are doing some amazing stuff. And this was a great conversation. Thanks so much for your time. A lot of fun. Thanks so much for the time. Awesome. Take care. Thanks, man. All right. How about that conversation? I told you guys, that was a good one. Yeah, and I think for all of our, my regular listeners, getting pretty good at the board game world. I'm smart, starting to speak that language. I think I might buy some. I think I'm going to buy some board games because I got to start playing them. I, mean, I think with my kids and stuff, this seems like it would be like something that might be fun to do and just start adding into our Friday nights and Saturday nights. Who knows? But um, all right. Well, I hope you guys are doing well. I will have an episode for Thursday. So make sure you guys are staying tuned and uh, plugging in and smashing all those subscribe buttons wherever you're listening to this and wherever you're finding it. It helps out immensely. Make sure you tell your friends and family, you know, right? Hey, I found a really good podcast. Or tell your community, right? So if you're somebody who's listening to this and you're in the crowdfunding community and you think this is a great resource, bow, share it out. All right, everybody. Let's listen to some sugar people. I'll talk to you all on Thursday.
Alright, I'll be all, I'll be alright.